of the Words. Who's seen the movie War of the Worlds? Okay, all right. So there's a movie called War of the Worlds um, with not my most favorite actor, Tom Cruise. Um, bless you if he's your favorite actor. Um, I'm, I'm sure that won't impact on our rapport. I'm sure we'll still like each other. Um, he's just not my 100% cup of tea. But anyway, I still go and see some of his movies because I think that they're, you know, some of them are pretty cool. Um, and so War of the Worlds was, you know, it was pretty out there with the, you know, the alien zapping and, and that kind of thing. But so I've done a slight play on this. And Jess, Jess and I, uh, Jess is uh, one of our church interns. She's amazing at what she does. And she, she was in the church office this week. And we we're bouncing ideas off each other, weren't we, Jess? And we kind of came up with this together. So thank you, Jess. I kind of give you credit for, uh, for this title, War of the Words. And, um, and I said to the Lord, really, God? You want me to preach this message? Do you know why I asked him that question? Because this is kind of a message that I, you know, this theme is not something new. It's not like a new theme that I'm going to be preaching today. And so I said to God, uh, but it's a new version. I'm not, it's not like I've just taken an old message and, you know, freshed it up in the microwave like old lasagna and, you know, heated up a little bit. It is a brand new word. Um, <laughs> So, um, but it isn't a brand new topic. It's not a brand new theme. And I actually said to God, I said, God, why do you want me to talk about this topic? I've, I've, probably, I've actually probably spoken about this topic twice already this year. And he said, I know, but I want you to speak on it again. And I said, well, why? He goes, because maybe, just maybe, there are some people who ain't quite getting it yet. And I said, oh, Okay. Um, and then I said, God, really? People aren't getting it? And he said, well, not, ev- not, not everyone. He said, but maybe there are some people who just aren't quite getting it yet. And I said, God, what do you mean? He said, well, they're not getting how important it is, how critical it is, how strategic it is, how essential it is, how fundamental it is. These are the kind of the words that he gave to me. And I want to share... Um, a story about a congregational member right now uh, who isn't here today. Um, he's in Sydney, and it's kind of part of the story that I want to start off with. But who here knows Chris Mercer? Okay. He's a great guy, and uh, he's actually been with our church since we planted. Uh, he was there the very first day, and he's just an amazing, lovable guy. Um, he's kind of cheeky. And uh, he, he likes to have fun. He also likes to pay people out sometimes in a fun way. He's really good at it. He's got very quick wit, hasn't he, Josh? And you should see Josh and Chris together. I mean, when they get in the zone, it's like, watch out. Because it doesn't matter how good your one-liners are, they'll come back with you so quickly. And they kind of work together. But sometimes they kind of combat each other as well, which is hilarious to watch. But anyway, so Chris has been with us ever since we've started Forever House. And um, he's been a, a man of dreams, and he's been a man of, um, absolutely loves God. What I love about him, though, is he's practical. So he loves God, but he's also real in that, you know, um, he, he's not into getting super spiritual. He'll say, say to how he is. I love that about him. But he's still honoring and has reverence for the Lord. And uh, so he's got that thing that I love called balance. <laughs> and... Uh, and so, yeah, he's just a, he's just a great guy. And um, not perfect. He'll be the first to admit that. Um, but he's, he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, he said to me, 
at the beginning of this year, he said, uh, even the whole time that he's been here, he's and and he's heard different sermons throughout the seasons of our local church, and obviously in other churches he's been in. It's not just our church. He's heard the importance of you know how what you speak out over your life, and uh, and what words you allow uh, to dominate the atmosphere of your life, and what you speak over other people, and what you speak over your circumstances and your situations, and what you speak over your life. And he said he said to me at the beginning of this year, he said, you know. It's interesting because I get the topic, I believe in the topic, I understand the principles, and I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm on board with it. I, I get it. He said, but I realized when I came into this year that when I asked the Lord, so what's going on with my life? Because Chris kind of said, he said, shared with the Lord that he was a bit frustrated with some things that just really weren't happening that he's been believing for and hoping would shift or change for quite a long time. And the Lord said this to him. He, he said this, you get it, but you don't really get it. You haven't really gotten it yet, Chris. And, and, and it tells because this is what God said to Chris. He said it tells because you don't really put it into practice. You kind of put it into practice, but you're kind of superficially committed to it. You kind of half-heartedly do it, but you, don't, you haven't really absolutely zoned in on this principle and really used it as a weapon of warfare in your life. That's pretty much what the Lord was sharing with him. And it kind of, in a good way, shook Chris up. and Because Chris kind of, in a way, felt like saying, well, hang on a second, God, is that really accurate? And like, I, I have, you know, I have spoken out things and I have prayed and I've, I, God, I have prayed for things and I've really decreed things and I've declared things and I've been being mindful of, you know, reacting to circumstances. And the Lord said, no, no, son, you haven't quite gotten it yet. You actually haven't deliberately and intently focused on this principle consistently to really understand how powerful it really is. And so from the beginning of this year, 2017, Chris decided to make a significant shift and change in his intention and his focus behind this principle. Now, what month are we in in 2017? August. So it's been seven and a bit months. Seven and a bit months. Interesting. A lot of people would say seven months. Well, that's a long time. Well, for Chris, it's not a long time in terms of the breakthrough that he's received compared to the years that he's been hoping for the breakthrough. So we're talking about a young man who's been believing for breakthrough in relationships. I'm talking about having a girlfriend and actually may potentially starting a pathway to one day actually finding someone to commit his life to. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail because that's his business, but he's had some frustrations there. Uh, and not really his fault, to be honest. Uh, he's been faithful to the Lord and he's just been patient and... He's like, God, what's going on? Well, uh, he's had breakthrough there because he now has an amazing girlfriend who's absolutely in love with the Lord, uh, who is now actually down at Hillsong Conference, not Conference, Hillsong College, uh, studying worship there uh, for a year. But uh, sh her plan is to, to come back and, and, uh, and uh, you know, continue to uh, connect with him in, in Brisbane here and, and, and build their friendship and their relationship. And what I love about Chris is he's been very wise about it. 
and you've got the appropriate boundaries that the Bible talks about when you're developing a, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. But he is just wrapped. Isn't that cool? Unfortunately, I can't joke anymore about, you know, all the single ladies, all the single Every time he gets up here, it's like, do you know this guy's single? Come on, ladies. Uh, I can't do that anymore. But anyway, that's a minute thing that I've had to sacrifice for Chris's game. Uh, so, so that's one significant breakthrough. The other thing, too, is that, you know, Chris has really um, been frustrated with just clarity around vision and plan for his life. And um, partly because he's always had a dream to race cars. And, uh, you know, to get into racing cars, I mean, it, it, money, <laughs> lots of money is involved. Um, and we've, over the years, um, we've sat down with him, we've looked at strategy, um, we've come up with sponsorship plans for him to go and have meetings with people who are into car racing and have millions of dollars. And uh, he has, he's stepped out, he's done all the right things, and just the, the, the door, you know, a little bit of a door's nudged open, but no door's really flung open for him. And it's been frustrating, because at one point, the only thing Chris could imagine doing was just racing cars. He could imagine doing anything else, because he just thought, well, I'm not really into anything else. And so I've had to kind of do some mentoring there and say, well, okay, maybe the Lord's parking it, and you have to keep investing. And so he's been really faithful with that. He's been good, but he's still been frustrated. And... Um, and so he's down in Sydney right now because Mercedes-Benz uh, have decided to bring him on on their team of testing cars. So Mercedes-Benz pays him to get into Mercedes-Benz models and drive them around and around as fast as he wants to to give feedback and report on how they're performing. Everyone say, boom, boom. <laughs> That's cool. And, uh, and then Chris has always had a heart for God and the local church. He's very loyal, very faithful. He's always had um, a sensing that he wanted to serve the Lord, but again, has felt confused. And, and so um, he's actually, um, we haven't really announced it, so I'm going to announce it here without him here, which is kind of <laughs> weird. So he's just started an apprenticeship, uh, a pastoral apprenticeship here at Forever House. And uh, so what that means is, is he's also um, studying a diploma of, um, of leadership and management as part of that. Um, that's more on the practical side because he's actually already done Bible college uh, before. He used to do that at IC College where Pastor Ben Naitaiko is connected with, um, a friend of our house, Pastor Ben, for those of you who are new here or visiting. And so he's done, um, he's done I think he did it two years of Bible college. But he, he knows, you know, when I sat down and asked him, he said, I think I really need more practical training on leadership management, um, particularly around people management when it comes to being a pastor. And then I said, okay, great. So, um, so we're, um, you know, uh, we're uh, now taking him down that pathway and he's, he's really excited because he has focus. And so he's had these, uh, plus he's getting financial breakthrough because he, he's getting uh, this work from Mercedes-Benz. Um, but... There were three areas. It was like God calling, girlfriend, <laughs> and, and career um, that he was kind of frustrated in for a while. And at the beginning of this year, he has been deliberately writing out scripture, writing out the promises of God, 
and he has been going for it in terms of intentionally speaking it out. He's been speaking to situations. He's been pushing back on things, you know, saying, you know, God, I, I know that you're going to move this situation where it's not opening here. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your favor. I thank you for favor in the marketplace. I thank you, Lord, for an opening there. I thank, and he's been starting to pray for his future wife. Now, you know, he's not necessarily knowing that this girl is his future wife. You know, we don't get carried away with ourselves. We use wisdom. But, you know, you have to first have a girlfriend usually before you, you know, you get married, right? That's usually the way. Uh, so, uh, so God's moving. And God is moving way more significantly and quickly at accelerated rate in his life than ever before. And he puts it down to the fact that God spoke to him at the beginning that even though he gets this principle, he didn't really get it, get it. And because he didn't get it, get it, he wasn't really someone who was putting it into place consistently enough. Um, and so that's partly the reason why I want to bring this word. I think the other reason why I want to bring this word today is because I want you to get it. And I'm not saying everyone here doesn't get it, but can I say to you, um, apart from giving your heart to God and obviously uh, being a person who has a personal relationship, the most important thing is that you, you keep your personal relationship with Jesus as the number one thing. That's the main thing. You give your heart to him and you, you keep pursuing him and you keep chasing after him and you keep spending time with him. And there are some seasons which are great. There are some seasons which aren't so great. But you just keep pursuing uh, after God and you keep focusing on Jesus. That's the main thing. So keep the main thing the main thing, all right? Apart from that, if there's... You know, any other principle that I would share, there's so many amazing things. But one of the things that I would say is that uh, when it comes to your walk, uh, it's important for you to, to learn this principle and to get it because it is effective. Um, beyond being effective, it's amazing. And so uh, I was also thinking about Roger Federer, as I do, because I usually Google him every day and find out the latest news. And I'm happy right now because Fedra is winning. So good. He's doing well. And um, I need to be very quick with this because I could probably talk about this for half an hour and then it'll be time for lunch. So discipline. Fedra uh, is having success because even though he had success, he realized to have more success, he had to sharpen his tools. He had to sharpen so even if you're here today going, well, I already do this, that's great, but there's always room to improve. Um, and if you're not here today and you haven't, let's say you've been in a season where you haven't been winning, right? Uh, then um, definitely this is something you need to get. But even if you're getting it, it's something that we can improve on. Who believes that? Good. Um, so if... You think about this, war of, world, war of the words. Uh, I'll give you two examples. I love you. You're important to me. Thank you so much. How can I repay you? You look really nice today. I like your new haircut. Great job. This place wouldn't be the same without you. I'm proud of you. You're irreplaceable. Will you marry me? Uh, we're having a baby. All of these wonderful types of comments we can make in life. Who thinks all those comments are quite wonderful? 
right? Let's listen to something opposite. I hate you. You disgust me. I wish you'd never been born. I wish I were dead. You make me sick. I want a divorce. Nobody cares about you. I'll never speak to you again. Completely different flavor, isn't it? Right? So I want to talk to you about the power of words. Because words really do shape our world. And that's why it's called the war war of the words. Because uh, sometimes your, your words can establish an atmosphere of peace. And sometimes your words can establish an atmosphere of war. And even sometimes there is a war within you about how you respond and you react to things. And sometimes your flesh just wants to kind of vomit out how you feel. And so it's important in how we manage our speech and our words because they shape and define our lives, church. Words will shape and define your life. Who believes that? Who believes that? Because it's about getting it today. Well, let's say it again. Who believes it? All right. Words reveal the faith that we have in our life. So I want to share the scripture from Mark 11, 12 to 24. If the AV team can start to put that one on Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 24. So the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And when you think about the words that Jesus said, we go back to that one. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He cursed the fig tree. Right? That's what he's doing. He's cursing the fig tree. And you might be saying, ooh, sweet little Jesus, cursing. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Right? But Jesus is actually using this as a way to teach the disciples about the power of words. He's actually using this. And as we, we connect this part of Scripture to the next part of Scripture, which flows in the book of Mark, we're going to see the significance of this lesson. In fact, Jesus used a whole day to, cheat, to teach a significant lesson about the power of words and our response from either the flesh or the spirit and how it can impact the atmosphere around us. So we'll read that again. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, before we go any further, I want to actually backtrack to the verse before. Can we go to verse 13? So let's break this down together, church. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. So he could tell it was a fig tree because he could tell by the leaves. He went to find out if it had any fruit. Are you ever interested in your life? if there's going to be any fruit in a season? Do you ever kind of look over a season and think, is there going to be ever fruit? Do you ever ponder or search for fruit in your life? Come on now. And so let's, let's get into some teaching here. He went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing. Everyone say nothing. He found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Interesting. See, what's interesting is that sometimes we look at our life and we get frustrated because we don't see the fruit. We don't see the breakthrough, right? 
we don't see the potential coming from the thing that we think should be coming. And sometimes we go, oh, well, God's not moving, or this isn't the right season, or I have to wait again. So our reaction to the practical or natural is that this is not bearing fruit, and it's not the right season. Right? So in a way, Jesus is actually, he's using this scenario to say, this is how you and I will be tempted to see our life sometimes. We're going to look at our life and go, my life sucks. There's no fruit. There's no breakthrough. This is going pressure. This is going wrong. And it's obviously not the right season. And then Jesus, through an illustration, next, next verse, then he shows us how you can respond. You can curse your life because it's unfruitful. You can have a go at yourself. You can have a go at your situation. You can have a go at your circumstances. You can go, well, I'm sick of this. This is never going to work out. I'm sick of this. This is never going to bear fruit. I'm over this. I'm wasting my time. So Jesus here is not actually doing this because he's saying this is the right thing to do, but he's doing it on purpose to teach the disciples about how you can be tempted to respond to a lack of fruitfulness. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ah. Then he said to the tree, so the disciples are around him. He walks up to the tree. This is not fruitful. I don't see anything great coming from this. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it because Jesus wanted them to hear hear him say it. It was a lesson because we're going to see this whole day that he's with the disciples is a lesson. He's teaching them things about the kingdom of God. So right here, he's teaching them to be careful what they shouldn't do. My challenge to you is, how often have you lately been doing what Jesus is saying not to do? Next verse, 15. Now catch this, because we're going we're to come back to the fig tree in a minute. But this is fascinating. The next verse, everyone say the next verse. The next verse, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. You may be wondering, what has this got to do with a fig tree? In a minute, in a minute, we're going to get there. Because this is the very next verse. Verse 17, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. Because it was quite confronting. He was convicting them. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So not only were the disciples listening now, but they had a whole crowd listening in. So we're going to park it there because the next part then goes on to the next part. (laughs) Funny enough. Verse 18. Actually, we'll go back to verse 17. 
And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. How does this relate? He came into the house of God, and yet what the people were doing, the temple of the Lord, what the people were doing was they weren't doing things in the temple that were helping for the temple to make it fruitful, come on now, and to make it reach its potential. They weren't honoring the Lord. They weren't praying. They weren't speaking out words of life. They weren't praising the Lord. They weren't activating prayer of faith. They weren't worshiping the Lord. They weren't speaking out the word of God. No, they were in self-focused selfishness, trying to have something that was fruitful, but it was all through flesh. They were trying to make some money. They were trying to make something of the house of God. They were trying to make something of the temple of God, but it was all from their flesh. So how does this relate? I heard the Lord say this, do not rob your household of its potential and promise due to your temptation to be self-centered and focused when you want to pour out a lack of honor in your words and speech. See, what they were doing was not necessarily an example of speaking, but what they were doing was lack of honor. Come on now. It had no honor in it. It wasn't, it wasn't building fruitfulness. Come on now, was it? It was dishonoring the thing that God wanted to be honored. And therefore, it was fruitless. And Jesus was like, what are you doing? And he turned off, turned up all the tables. He's like, this is the temple of the Lord. This is not, isn't this not the house of God, a, a place for, the, for a prayer for all nations? Isn't this a place to be fruitful? Isn't this a place where there's an atmosphere of incubation of dreams and promises? But yet... For whatever reason, you're just using this place for your selfish gain. See, when you speak words of death, it's selfish. Because you're absolutely just reacting to your circumstance of your frustration. It actually is seed coming from selfishness, the flesh. It takes discipline. It takes love not to speak frustration when you're frustrated. Is it easy? No. Am I perfect? No. But is it important to get this principle? Yes. Because the majority of what you speak out is used the majority of what you reap. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, an elongated ah. Ah. Which kind of means, oh, the penny might be dropping. Good. Excellent. Do not rob your household of its potential and promise due to your self-centeredness, focus, and lack of honor in your words. When you think about when you speak words of death out because you're frustrated or you don't like something, you don't agree, or you have a go at the person you love or your children or whatever it is, and you just... And it doesn't have to be loud. It could be just a little mocking statement as you walk out of the kitchen. But what we do is then we sow dishonor, which is lacking faith, but it's full of frustration. Whereas good speech is about sowing faith. Even in the time of frustration, we keep speaking out. Now, there's going to be times when you falter. Everyone knows I'm real. It's not about becoming a, a praise robot, right? It's not about feeling guilty and, and shameful when you have moments when you stuff up with your speech. We're all human. We're under the blood. We're under the grace of God. It's all good. Everyone say it's all good. But can I say to you, when we step back and we take stock 
right, like Chris did. He said, well, I get it, but I don't really get it. And he knew that he wasn't intentionally focused on shifting gears to the next level. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach here. Because he was saying that bad speech leads to unfruitfulness, like the fig tree. He was saying dishonor leads to unfruitfulness. And that's why in the house, he was saying, this should be a household of prayer. This should be a household of praise. This isn't a, pl- a place where we are just selfish and we're, self- we're self-centered. And because we, we want to get something uh, of gain, we'll just give up all the things and principles that we should be doing and just focus on ourselves. Because this is the same day. He's, he's teaching the same thing. The same theme. <clears throat> okay, verse 19. Let's have a look at this. Is everyone still with me? Good, verse 19. When evening came, they went out of the city. Verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. So the very fig tree that Jesus started the day teaching the disciples about what you speak out. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Not withered a little bit, withered from the roots. Come on, church. <laughs> withered from the roots. Can I tell you, without any hesitation, I grew up in a household, and if I could say, how could I describe the atmosphere of that house? It was withered from the roots. And that's why I think God, when I, when I gave my heart to God, he, he had to grab a hold of me and get me to change this. Because I knew I didn't want to have a household experience like the one that I grew up in. So it goes on. In verse 21, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Verse 22. So Jesus responds with this. Now he says, have faith in God. Can everyone say, what the? (laughs) What the? Well, now he's he's showing the opposite of what to do. Because the disciples have just realized what has come from if something's not fruitful and then you curse it because you're frustrated and you react and you respond from your flesh majority of the time, guess what you should expect? You should expect not for it to rebound, not for it to, be, to get better. You should actually expect it to get worse. It will actually wither that thing at the roots. And that's something that we don't want to do, right? We don't want to do that, do we? No, we don't want to do that. And so now Jesus says, have faith in God. So the very thing, come on now, watch this. The disciples just gone, oh my goodness, the victory that you cursed him. That's well, I'm on the mark. This is really mine. So what has he just said? The disciples just said, oh, circumstance looks really grim. That's really not, it's not just unfruitful. It's withered at the roots, Jesus, because you cast it. His response, have faith in God. He, he just responds with the way he now is teaching them how to respond. The very first thing that comes out of his mouth, Have faith in God. He shifts the atmosphere straight away. 
It is bleak. It is grim. It is horrible. It is dead and buried. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Jesus answered. Verse 23. And then he goes on and he expands. Everyone say, thank goodness he expands. <laughs> it doesn't just leave us with that. Verse 23. I tell you the truth. Not I tell you a story. I tell you a nice little principle that might kind of help you if you kind of get it. I tell you the truth. And what does the Bible say about the truth? The truth shall free. I tell you the truth. And linking back to Chris Mercer, this was his revelation at the beginning of the year. It wasn't just a nice little principle that churches like to talk about every now and then because it kind of works. It's the truth. So you need to anchor your life, anchor it, not just tap dance on it, anchor your life to the truth. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, so what is the mountain? The mountain is a blockage. It's a frustration. It's a hindrance. It's an obstacle. It's a sign of a lack of fruitfulness. It's, it's, a, it's a prevention from, from moving forward. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen. Now, that's a big key that Chris said. It's not to do this thing religiously. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen. It will be done for him. Verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. So Jesus did not speak at the tree. He spoke to the tree. But he spoke to the tree in frustration. He was showing them. He, he cursed the tree. He was angry at the tree for not being fruitful. But a lot of people just think Jesus was just really, you know, maybe ticked off one day and, and really wanted figs. And that's why he cursed the tree. No, I think it's bigger than that. Uh, he was teaching the disciples a lesson on kingdom principles. So he believes that. I'm sure he was into figs because figs in the Middle East are awesome. Right? But I think he was using this as a lesson. And so every day we speak to different things in our life. And what are we saying? Because the principle, and this is what Jesus is trying to teach here. Well, he's not trying. Jesus is teaching it. It's whether we're receiving it or not. Because the principle works both ways, church. The principle doesn't just work, well, if you speak life into a situation, and if you consistently do it, you should expect a turnaround or fruit. It's not just saying that. Because my question to you would be, if it's just saying that, then maybe, just maybe, you sometimes get this, and you sometimes do this, and then... You sometimes get a breakthrough, but then you sometimes don't get a breakthrough. And then that sometimes frustrates you even more because there's an inconsistency. And so if it works both ways, it's not just you speak. If you speak death to things, if you speak frustration, if you speak curses over things, if you, if you use your speech as a selfish way just to react and to respond and throw it out there, well, you will also reap from that. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ah.
So here Jesus taught us, taught us a valuable lesson, not only about words, but about a principle of faith that is associated with our words. And that our words actually reveal what's in our hearts. You know, there's a, a story of a man and a woman, and they were selling their land. <coughs> and for two years, they said to each other, oh, we're, now, we're never, never going to sell this land. It's never going to sell. We're not going to sell it. It's not going to sell. No one will buy it. No one's going to buy it. We're not going to get the right price. This land's not going to sell. I hate this land. It's annoying. It's not selling. So they obviously said it all in slightly different ways. Over two years. Everyone say two years. And then they learned this principle. They'd heard it, but they kind of got it. And so they went for it. And they made sure that they just kept saying, this land is going to sell. This land is definitely going to sell. God's favor is on this land. It's going to sell. This land is going to sell in Jesus' name. And the land sold after two years of not selling. The land sold in two days. And then they retired. And had fun. <laughs> now, it doesn't always work like that, but it works. We actually color our lives with the words that we use. Jess, can we have that apple picture? Now, this is actually a real-life experiment. Is everyone still with me? Everyone at the back still with me? Good, all right. This is a real-life experiment, church. So on the jar on the left, you have an apple. Would you believe it? And the jar on the right, you have the other part of the apple. It's actually the same apple. But different parts of a cut up. The jar on the left and the jar on the right are the same type of jar, same type of jar top, and it's the same type of air in the jar. There's no trick here, right? And this was an experiment. And what they did was they put the same piece, same size piece of the same, from the same apple in one jar and another jar. The jar on the left was put in one room and the jar on the right was put in another room. And for 48 hours a group of people were paid in one room to just consistently focus intently and deliberately to speak out words of negativity. And the other room, you had same number of group of people were paid for 48 hours to speak out Words of life and positivity. Now, guess which jar the jar was in in the room of negative speech? The yucky one. And it is yucky, isn't it? It's rotting. Now, this is obvious. We get this. But I want to take the analogy to one next level. This is the bit that I don't think people really get. Imagine my friend Josh Braidwood was hungry, which is most of the time, right? <laughs> Where's Chloe? 
Yeah. <laughs> and so imagine I said, Josh, I've got a fork here for you. And uh, here's this apple. And it's fresh, it's juicy. And you stick your fork in the jar, you pull out, you have a couple of bites. And you, you know, what's your reaction? Now, let's say it's not slightly 48 hours old, even though it looks fresh. Let's say it's fresh, fresh, right? Because we need to go with the analogy, but you get the gist, right? It's fresh. Your response to that is going to be what? Mmm, it's juicy. Now, the word juicy in that, in that you know, analogy is a positive word, right? Okay, it's juicy. Mmm, it's crispy. It's tasty, right? So how is Josh responding to the fruitfulness? Positive, right? Now, imagine we switch it up and Josh is really hungry, right? He's hungry. Everyone say hungry. And I go, Josh... Have I got an apple for you? <laughs> and I bring the one from the negative room out and I open up and go, Josh, stick your fork in that, buddy. Tell me what you think. Right? What's your response? Nasty. Vile. Disgusting. Horrible. You probably start abusing me. How dare you feed me this food? I'm like... You'd probably call me the food terrorist or something. So the irony is, is that not only do our words create a certain type of fruit or an atmosphere, but then that atmosphere that we have to live in or taste then actually then brings further response of frustration, nastiness, negativity. And so it becomes a cycle. Because then you speak out more, and then you actually end up tasting what you're speaking out. As in, you're tasting the circumstances, the relationships, the situations, the atmosphere that becomes a manifestation of what you've majority been speaking, if that's the trap that you fall into. Is everyone getting this? You getting it? Good. James 3.2.10 says this, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. He's talking about taming the tongue, controlling and disciplining your speech and your mouth. Verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm. Whithsoever the governor listens to. Verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. I'm reading a King John version. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a, world, a wor world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it is defileth the whole body, and it settles fire, the course of nature, and it can set on fire of hell. Verse 7, for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things of the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But, everyone say but. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ah. Therefore, bless God, even the Father, and therefore, curse 
we men which are made after the sameness of God. And out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not ought to be or should not be. In that version that we're reading out there. So it's like, okay, what's it saying here? It's actually saying this, that the lesson that Jesus is teaching us in the previous scriptures in James, it's saying, ah, but do you get it? This is really, this scripture here is really saying, ah, but do you really get it? Do you really get it? Do you really understand how damaging the tongue can be if you don't intentionally and deliberately harness it? If you don't absolutely focus in on discipline, it can become a wildfire. An absolute wildfire. I'm going to ask Jason to come. So I'm going to ask Shanata to come. I <laughs> oh, love our team. Thank you, Shanata. That was a surprise. But Keys is anointed. I love it. And did anyone notice that Jason had a moment of singing without the guitar today? How cool was that? It's like he had that whole, man, and he's hype, man. I'm thinking, this guy's going to lift his hands to the Lord. And he's going to be able to touch the ceiling. He might even be able to do an extra bit of touch-ups on the paint, Cornelio. While he's worship leading with that guitar, we'll just have to put a, put, yeah, put a paintbrush and some black paint there. I can just do tough ups for you. <laughs> awesome. I love the height of this man. Probably because I'm not that tall. I appreciate what I'm not. I love you, Chase. And we love you, Shanata. Cool. What's James saying to us? I mean, James is a book, it's a challenging book, church, for a good reason. Because it's saying sometimes when you don't really get something, when you don't really get how important it is, how critical it is, it can really hurt you. It can really hinder you. And when I was asking the Lord, God, do you want me to do another message on speaking at our world? God said strongly to me, yeah. Because there are some people who just may not be really getting it. And because they're not really getting it, they're still hindered. And so I really believe it was the Father's heart that really is the true agenda. And I really believe the Father's heart actually is the backbone of the book of James. It's a strong, challenging book, church, about character and about conviction and about living right. But it comes from the Father's heart. It comes from, if you can get this, that I know, as in God knows, God knows, if you can get some of these core principles, 
it will set you up in life and beyond. And so I want to finish with this. Your tongue may seem like a small spark, but it can create great destruction in your life if you don't get it. If you don't get this principle, without going into too much detail, I have sadness in my heart sometimes. For a certain member of my family, which I won't name, I have great sadness, Sarah knows this, great sadness in my heart because their whole life They have waged a war with their words. And without me crying, as much as I try to hold back, that rotten apple would be an example of their life right now. And if I get choked up about that, just imagine how choked up God himself gets choked up when people just don't get it. And so James is really saying in that scripture, your tongue may seem like a small spark, but it can wield great destruction if not disciplined. James 3, 4, 6 says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest it's set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself set on fire, is set on fire by hell. Now, that's an intense scripture. But can I tell you that in the intensity of scripture actually comes a breaking through so people get it. People get, when you listen to that, you can hear how intentionally serious God's saying this topic is. And so to illustrate, a man in a small village had been found guilty of starting a malicious rumor about another man. And this rumor was not only untrue, but had seriously damaged the other man's reputation and family. As it often, as is often the custom in small villages, the accused was taken before the chief of the village who served as a judge and who would hear the case and decide the man's punishment, excuse me, if found guilty. And after hearing the facts of the case, the chief found the accused to be guilty and was now preparing to sentence the man to his punishment. The old wise chief handed the man a large bag of feathers and told him that his only punishment would be to place a feather on the doorstep of every person to whom he told the rumor. The man was relieved at such a light punishment and quickly took the bag of feathers and set about his task. And four hours later, the man returned to the king with the empty bag and said, I completed your task, sir. Is there anything else? Yes, the wise chief replied. Report to me in the morning and I'll give you the second half of your punishment. The man reported the next morning and was instructed that the second half of his punishment 
was to gather all the feathers back up and place them in the bag. But sir, the man replied, didn't you hear the storm that raged through our village last night? Didn't you feel the force of the winds that blew? It would be impossible to know where those feathers are now. The wise old chief raised his index finger and pointed knowingly at the man. Now you see. Now you see. Now you get it, my child. The damage that you have done to another. For although you told only a few lies here and there, for though only you spoke out a few comments that were negative, but spread it to a couple of people here and there, the storm of gossip took hold of those lies and spread them far beyond your grasp to undo them. You can regret what you said, but you can never fully undo what you've said. So obviously it's talking there about speaking words of negativity, and that's a whole other extra topic about gossiping. But it's all the same theme. And in this season, I feel like the Lord is bringing this word today to say wherever you are and whoever you are, He absolutely loves you. And He wants the best for you. But we've got to get it. And it's our responsibility. Actually, not God's. See, God can bring teaching. He can bring His Word. He can bring guidance. He can try and get inside you and say, hey, you might need to fine-tune here, but we have to respond, church. The word responsibility, the ability to respond. Because at the end of the day, God gives us free will. Who knows that? And so what I want us to do is I want us to just bow our heads, close our eyes. And we're going to come into a time of just doing business with God. First of all, I want to pray. You may be in this, in this auditorium today and you may, know, you may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, you may have never given your heart to the Lord. And maybe you've sat through this message today. Maybe you've sat through worship. And maybe your heart's been pounding or you've been sensing that God is wanting to draw closer to you. You can, you can sense that there's something about God wanting to be a part of your life, but you've never made that decision or you've never maybe had the opportunity to say, you know what, God, I want to say yes to you because I want you to come into my life through my invitation. And God, I want you to help me, to teach me, to help me to grow, to help me to become everything that I'm called to be. And maybe you heard the teaching today, maybe you've encountered, like me, you've been raised in an atmosphere where it hasn't been encouraging, where it's been hurtful. And maybe, just maybe, you felt like your life has been hindered because of that. Or maybe it could be that you're so angry or frustrated sometimes with things in your life that haven't gone well that you'll fall into the trap of speaking out anger or speaking out that frustration, and that's hindered relationships. It maybe it's hindered opportunities. It's closed doors where you wanted them to open, and then that's created more frustration. Well, you may just be here, and you just know that God is knocking at the door of your heart, and you know it's the time to give Him permission to come in. So whoever you are, wherever you are, 
I want to give you an opportunity like I was given. 22 years ago, when everyone's head was bowed and eyes were closed, I had a pastor up here who gave the same opportunity I'm about to give you. And that is, if you would like to give your heart to Jesus, then I'd like to pray for you today. And I'd like you to help, I'd like to help you to connect to Jesus. So if that's you, in the privacy, when everyone's got their eyes closed, just raise your hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Just raise your hand so I know that that's you. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Anyone else here today? I don't wanna rush this moment. Because sometimes, like even the topic, the war of words, there may be even like a war going on in your heart where you're thinking, oh, I want to raise my hand, but uh, should I? Maybe that's you. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone else who wants to join these three people today? Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone else who wants to join with these people today? Give their heart to God. Thank you, Lord. When in a moment, I'm going to pray for those people that, that raised your hand. I'm going to pray for Jesus to come into your life. And we're going to believe for God to help you to turn your life around in whatever way you want it to turn around. We're going to do that in a second. I just want to give a, an opportunity for a second response. And again, with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, privacy in this room. Do you know that God wants you to respond to this word today. And maybe he's saying, hey, son, daughter, I want to work with you to help you to hit the reset button on your speech and what you say and what you don't say. I want to help you to get this and I want to help you to master this more. So like Chris Mercer, God can work with you to bring some breakthroughs in your life. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord's saying, son, daughter, I want you to shift from frustration to faith. If that's you, while no one's looking around, just raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you. Thank you. There's lots of people. Anyone else, just raise your hand. And I know to include you in this prayer. Awesome. Okay, this is what we're going to do. You can open your eyes. You still with me? It's going to take a moment to close, to do business with God. God's so into how we respond. So the first thing I want to do is those people that raise their hand for the first thing. Now, 22 years ago, um, I felt a bit nervous. And you know what? If you're feeling nervous... That's completely normal. Um, but I want to encourage you, like I did. I'd like to pray with you, but I'd like to make it personal. And so to make it personal, I'd like to know what your name is, and I promise I won't embarrass you. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you just to stand and come to the front, and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to come boldly. Let's encourage these people to come.